From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. What's the best way to screen women for cervical cancer? A recent study called into question the sensitivity of the pap smear, a test that's been in use for decades. So now what do we do? Here to provide some answers is Dr. Renee Mistad, an assistant professor and division chief of obstetrics and gynecology at Upstate. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Now, this was a big study. It was published in a major journal, the Journal of the American Medical Association, or JAMA. Can you tell us a little about it and how it was done? Yes. So the researchers um, studied two different groups of women. Um, one group underwent the uh, the control group underwent the traditional uh, pap the traditional cervical cancer screening. The other group underwent cervical cancer screening with only HPV testing. HPV is the virus that has been recognized as the dominant cause of most cervical cancers in the United States for women. Currently, um, most women undergo routine testing, which where we scrape a sample of cells off of the cervix and they send them off to the pathologist who looks at them under a microscope and determines if they're abnormal or not. In the past 10 or 15 years, we have added HPV testing, which is a DNA test that grows the cells to get enough so we can actually look at the DNA to see if the virus exists. So it still involves taking a sample from the uh, cervix. cervix? Yes. Okay. So what this test was looking at is possibly skipping the pathology test where the pathologist looks at it under a microscope and just looking at the DNA test alone. Huh. Okay. From the patient's point of view, it seems the same, though. You so, still have to go to the yes. doctor for a... Okay. Yes. You still, at this time, we would still have to put a speculum in the vagina, scrape off a sample of the cells, and send that off to a laboratory, although it wouldn't necessarily go to a pathologist who would look under it, at it under a microscope. Okay. So what the, what the study did was it took women, and it, it, a group of them only underwent the scraping with the pathologist test, and the other group underwent the sampling with the DNA test, and that's the HPV test. Any women who came up with abnormal results from either of those tests then underwent the standard diagnostic testing to see if there are any actual abnormal cells, and then underwent necessary treatments based on what those findings were, and then were followed up over the next four years. At the end of the four years, the women who underwent the traditional testing then got HPV testing, and the women who underwent the HPV alone test got traditional testing. And in the end, they found that um, women who underwent HPV testing by the end of the four years had ultimately more abnormal cells were detected, but they were detected earlier on in the first round of testing after the first year or two. And by the time they got to the four years, there were fewer women with abnormal tests, whereas the women in comparison to the women who underwent traditional testing. Additionally, the women who got HPV testing throughout the, the research study and then had the traditional testing, only three more um, abnormal abnormalities were found, whereas women who underwent traditional testing and then got HPV testing at the end of the four years, 25 more cases of abnormal cells were found. So it's a more sensitive test. The HPV, looking at the, the DNA, exactly. is more sensitive. Exactly. Identifies the potential for abnormalities earlier and more consistently. All right. Now, you use the term screening and also diagnostic. Is there a difference between those? Yes. Um, 
So a screening test is designed to be fairly inexpensive and something that we can do for all women who don't already have other thing, other health concerns that make them higher risk. So, so the ma- average mass population, exactly the average okay. everyday walking around person. Um, and it is designed not only to be inexpensive, but also to be easy to perform on many people and fairly non-invasive as in not painful. Although some women would question whether or not a pelvic exam is, is not painful, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't involve any cutting or sewing or, or anything, sure. um, that prevents you from going about the rest of your day. And is designed to identify women who, who otherwise would not appear to be high risk, to um, determine if they need who who it is that is at higher risk of having a cancer or a precancer, and then do the further testing, to and that which is the diagnostic testing to determine whether or not they actually have a cancer. Um, because obviously we can't run around doing cutting large portions off of women's cervixes every year or every other year. Um, cause that would make all women infertile. So the pap smear, while, like I said, some women aren't, would question whether or not a pelvic exam is painful or invasive or not. Um, performing the visualization and taking a quick sample of cells off of the surface of the cervix, um, is for the most part fairly non-invasive and does not prevent them from going about the rest of their day. And the pap smear has been in use for decades, right? It's been, it was instrumental in reducing the number of deaths from cervical cancer yes. because it found a lot, right? Yes. So, so what we have been doing, so it was, um, came into being probably about the, was, it was actually described in the twenties, but, um, became more of a, a recognized, um, method of determining whether or not women had the potential for developing cervical cancer in about the fifties or sixties. Mm. And, Traditionally, it's been done every year, and um, unfortunately, some doctors still do them every year at this point in time. Um, and what it did was it identified precancerous cells that made it possible for doctors to start treating women and removing the precancerous cells or doing closer monitoring of them to help prevent them from actually ever developing cervical cancer. About... 20 years ago or so, we developed liquid-based tests as opposed to smears. So we traditionally took off cells from the surface of the cervix, smeared it on a slide, sent it to the pathologist. They looked at it under a microscope. Um, the problem with that is if there were problems with, with vaginal infections or lubricants, made it more difficult to see the, see the cells properly, which is why we did the test every single year because it, um, it would help to catch any, any abnormalities we missed the prior year. Oh. With the liquid-based test that became more popular about 20 years ago or so, um, that helps to effectively remove a lot of the debris that got in the way of proper viewing. And so ultimately, we were able to space out the tests up to every three years if a woman had had several normal tests before that. And the reason we found we were able to space them out is because cervical cancer is an incredibly slow-growing cancer. You're looking at 20 years from identifying some some abnormal cells to developing full-blown cancer, as we understand cancer. So being able to space them out, the, the tests out to every three years, if women had been previously normal, was a boon to everybody. Sure. Um, adding the HPV test several years ago has actually made it possible for women over the age of 30 who'd had normal tests to 
be able to go every five years if she has a negative HPV test and a negative um, pathology test that um, doesn't show any signs of, of precancer cells. Is there a big difference in price between HPV versus PAP? I honestly couldn't tell you the exact price because it varies from lab to lab. Okay. And, um, and also varies with the contract that they have with the various insurance companies. Um, but ultimately being able to do one test instead of two tests would decrease would the costs. Logically, overall. it makes yes. things, sense that it would. Now, since this study came out and was published and, and has kind of circulated among OBGYNs, is it changing their practice with patterns? Currently in the United States, there's only one test that's been FDA approved for single testing, one HPV test. So any other HPV tests um, still have to be done with the, the pathology, the traditional testing. Um, given that there are still OBGYNs who are doing pap smears every single year on otherwise um, normal women, and that there's still, unfortunately, some OBGYNs who are doing pap tests on women who are under the age of 21, both of which have been recommended against for over 10 years. Um, it's going to be a long time before I think a lot of OBGYNs are ready to stop doing the, the traditional pap smear um, and do the HPV only. And some of that is... A, we like to see more than one study to support this. There have been several smaller studies that have incidentally made the same finding, but they were never, the other studies weren't designed to directly study um, how much better the HPV testing is right. for screening than traditional pap tests. So a lot of us like to see multiple studies that really support this information. Um, we want to hear from the, um, I put in air quotes, governing bodies of the medical organizations like the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, um, the um, Colposcopy Society. Um, colposcopy is the diagnostic test for um, cancer. And um, the other groups that the American Cancer Society that make recommendations for how we, we um, do screening tests. So, and those organizations compile a lot of all the data and study it and make recommendations based on that. So I think it's going to be a while before we have HPV alone testing, but we are definitely going in that direction. Let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Renee Mastad, an assistant professor and division chief of obstetrics and gynecology at Upstate. So we've been talking about the HPV test but I think listeners have heard us before, because we've done segments on it, the HPV vaccine. What, what's the difference? What are these two things? So the virus that causes cancer, HPV, human papillomavirus, um, is incredibly common. And there's over 70 different varieties that um, affect both men and women. Um, most of us have been exposed and just getting basic hand-foot warts. Um, that is actually caused by HPV, but a different type of HPV than that that causes um, cervical cancer. Um, but it's been linked to anal cancer. It's been linked to oral cancer. It has been linked to genital warts, both on men and women. It's been linked to penile cancer. We've heard, most, we've heard it mostly in relation to cervical cancer for women. 
the vaccine, when given to um, people who are younger and before they've ever been exposed to the virus, to HPV. So adolescents or children. Exactly. Um, has been demonstrated to dramatically decrease the risk of HPV infection and the subsequent um, precancers, cancers, warts, et cetera, uh, for both men and women. So it's protective. Exactly. Um, so it, it prevents the people who are exposed to the virus from actually ever getting the virus and getting the abnormal cells that result in cancer, which is why it's very, very important that both men and women, or boys and girls, ultimately receive the vaccine because it is generally sexually transmitted. And so boys give it to girls and girls give it to boys. And if everybody is vaccinated, then it's not really going to be able to take root. Is everyone getting vaccinated? No. Unfortunately, because it is a sexually transmitted virus, there are um, a lot of parents who are concerned that it will make their children more promiscuous um, and make them feel like it's safe for them to go out and have sex flagrantly. Um, there have actually been some studies that demonstrated that it does not increase the promiscuity of adolescents. But just trying to get that word out is a challenge, yes. I imagine. Yes, it now, is. Now, uh, cervical cancer is still a concern, right? Yes, it still is. Um, we've It used to be the number one cancer killer of women, but with the advent of pap smears several decades ago, it has decreased um, dramatically. Unfortunately, a lot of women stop seeing their doctor after they have their last child. The story that I see most often in my office is a woman has her, her last child, she gets her tubes tied, and then she disappears from us for about 15 or 20 years. She returns because she has abnormal bleeding, we do an exam, and she has cancer, very visible, obvious cancer growing on her cervix. Okay. And that is what we, unfortunately, we still see in the United States today. And the screening, again, is important because there's not a lot of signs and symptoms until early signs exactly, and symptoms. Until. until there's actual cancer. Well, this has been very informative. I appreciate your time coming in to talk about this. My guest has been Dr. Renee Mastad. She's an assistant professor and division chief of obstetrics and gynecology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.